All right. I am here with the owner and founder of Iridium Sports Agency, Jason House. What's up, brother? How you doing? Good, man. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. We're super excited to have you on here. Um, so Jason owns Iridium. They have over 100 u- contracted UFC fighters, which is to me is just insane. How, how many <laughs> fighters are on the roster of like the UFC? I think maybe five or 600. So you got like 20% of the UFC. That's insane. <laughs> and a, a handful, even more of a handful of fighters on their way up. Yeah. Um, so why don't you just tell us how the heck did you even get into the MMA business? Do you train? Is is it uh, something that you've always loved watching? How did you get into this? So I finished playing college baseball in 2006 and I went straight to law school. And then in like the first semester of law school, I was really missing the camaraderie that you have, like being part of a team. And so uh, one night I went to my friend's house and that's when Chuck and Tito, uh, the second fight was happening. And I started watching. I was like, oh man, this is awesome. They're talking about jujitsu and stuff. And so I just Googled it and I saw that Team Oyama was right by my law school. And I thought, man, it'd be cool to be a part of something again. So I signed up and started training jujitsu with Jiva. And then that's how I met Colin Oyama. And not many people know this, but Colin Oyama went to law school as an attorney. So we kind of had that bond, you know, of law school and we were already kind of talking and catching up and stuff. And then I just started asking him a lot of questions about how to get into the business. And then Ken Pavia from MA Agents came and spoke to our school in 2008. And I just bugged him to give me an internship. And then from there, the rest was history. Finished law school in 2009 and just decided to go on my my own. So you knew that after being a lawyer and going to law school, you knew you wanted to be in sports? Yeah. So I was working at a construction defect firm. So I was working at a private firm. And I was also working at the DA's office. So I was kind of doing both between school. And I didn't really like the construction defect industry. I don't like the firm, the private firm life. It was a lot of hours. Didn't really, you know, uh, didn't really seem to kind of fit what I was about. And I really liked being working at the district attorney's office. I felt like a good sense of purpose in helping others, but they weren't going to hire anyone until like eight months after I had graduated. So at the time I was just thinking, you know what, this is, this is a passion of mine at uh, mixed martial arts. And I remember my parents just kind of telling me like, Hey, if it doesn't work out in two years, you could always go back to the law firm job. That job would be there. But if you try this now, while it's young and up and coming sport, you could maybe gain a market share. So I was like, oh man, it's a really good point. So I just decided to finish, you know, taking the bar, passed it, got a job at Outback Steakhouse serving tables and just kind of did the agent from nine to five and then served from six to 10 and just kind of built the company up from there. So before you started your company, you were, you said Ken Pavia, what, what company was that? So he, he owned MMA agents. And at the time I, I really felt like they're one of the biggest players in the industry. I think they had, I think it was like 30 or 40 UFC fighters, which back then was uh, all, of them. Ginormous <laughs> amount, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> and so he was kind of the only show in town, right? Like in, in California and orange County, he was all that was really there. So I just kind of latched on there and, and, just entrenched myself. You know, I'd be at his office all night, just learning from him, seeing how he did things and some things that I didn't like. And that's why I left. Inevitably he was banned from the UFC. Huh. Um, but uh, I luckily left before that, all that happened. And I just decided to go on my own and kind of create the culture that I wanted to create a, uh, for an agency. And what year was that? 2009. 2009. So you've been at it nine, 13 years. Yes. What, what are some tips? Because you've, you've obviously grown this thing huge. It's, it's probably a force of nature at this point on its own. And what tips would you give people or, or what, what do you attribute your success of growing in, in over 10 years 
to having a almost a quarter of the UFC roster on your on your roster? Um, I, I think for me, it's really just being passionate and, and caring about your clients. I, I I always live by that. You know, people don't care to know how much you know until you know they know how much you care. And I truly feel like that's a, a game changer for us. Is just really showing a lot of love and, and passion, not only for the sport, but for the clients and just honestly being a sponge, being, you know, emptying the cup, emptying my cup every day and learning every day. That's something I really got from jujitsu was every day you go, you empty your cup and you learn from, you learn whatever's being taught that day. And I feel like if you can do that in this industry, because it's such a young industry and it's constantly evolving, then you'll always be able to grow with it and not be left behind or become stagnant. I feel like in young markets like MMA, I mean, it's barely even 30 years old. It's, it's constantly evolving. You have to be constantly looking to force yourself into uncomfortable positions to, to grow and learn. And I feel like, I don't remember what year it was, but I remember when I was fighting back in the day, it was like 07, 08, 09. There were, we were able to put sponsorships on our shorts. We were able to do all this stuff. And you see, you saw agents everywhere. There were just like tons of people, you know, mainly handling the outside the fight thing, getting sponsorships and all that. And then once the UFC brought in, you know, Reebok and all that, it seems like a lot of guys just went on to do something else. Like it wasn't as lucrative where you were able to, I don't know if you pivoted or how did you handle that and still grow to where you're at? I remember having a very, I mean, it was, it was, it was a very important conversation. You, Monty Cox probably doesn't remember this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I remember like I called him and I think it was like 2010 and, you know, he's like the godfather of MMA management. Yes. And I remember he said something to the extent of like, you know, if you start working with these clients at a young part of their career and you build with them and you grow with them, they'll be loyal to you. And you'll, you'll be part of every part of their, you'll be part of every stage of their career. And I remember just thinking like, man, that's a good way, a good grass rate, grassroots way to approach it. And so I felt like when the switch happened from, you know, sponsorships being on the shorts to uh, Reebok coming in, a lot of people that solely focused on, hey, I can get you sponsors. That's my role. They kind of had struggled to maintain an industry where we were an agency that developed talent. You know, yes, we procured sponsorships as well, but we were always developing talent first, right? Helping you get the right fights on the regional scene. I was going to, you know, back then in 2014, 15, maybe I was going to four or five UFCs a year, but I was going to 30 or 40 regional events a year, right? So I was really there with that group, building them and growing them. And then when the contenders came i feel like that was our calling card right because we were the ones developing the young town all these years now we have these crop of, of studs that are coming up and it really Platforms. just yes so you know yes we're focusing on marketing and endorsements yes that's a huge uh, piece of the puzzle but uh we started out really focusing on the talent development because if you don't win fights none of it matters anyways true yeah uh so give us some examples of people who you were with in the very beginning and now they're MMA superstars. Who, who are those guys? I mean, if you look at like Alex Perez, we booked every single one of his pro fights all the way to the UFC title fight. Bobby Green, I've been with for, for my whole career in MMA. He's been with me. Uh, Ricky Simone's another one at 135 who's coming up the ranks tremendously fast right now that we've had, you know, since his, his pro debut and wow. a lot of young studs that are coming up that we've had, you know, uh, throughout that process. And I think that's the key is that you just have to really enjoy the process and honor the process and the results will take care of themselves. Awesome. Now I know you're a reader because we've talked about books before and all that. And like I said, I read a lot and I, I love looking for the next good one that could, because yeah. I know one book can change your life and one book has changed my life. 100%. So are there any books? I just, I put three, but if there's one, two, three, four, even more books that you recommend that, that when you read it, you're like, Oh crap, 
maybe it changed your thinking or changed your life? Um, when I was coming up, I, I lived very close to tap out when they were at their peak. Oh, and yeah. I remember Max, you know, telling me and talking in the office about, uh, the book, how to win friends and influence others. Uh, it was one of his, uh, favorite books. And so I remember like being so excited to run to the bookstore after and, and purchase it. And, um, it one. changed my life because I didn't, it was kind of funny because mass passed away. I think March or April, 2009, I got in the industry late 2008. So I only was over there a few times. And luckily I picked up that nugget of, of knowledge from him before he passed. And I didn't know anything about business at that time because in law school, you're really learning law. You're not learning business. Right. And so that book really was like my Bible for how to do business, right? Like, man, if you show people you care and you care about their interests, naturally exactly. they're going to help you succeed as well. So that was a big book for me. Um, another big book for me was relentless by Tim Grover, because mm. I felt like that helped me turn, like flip the switch that helped me, you know, Hey man, you want to be good for one year. That's great. Let's, let's go run a decade. Let's go see how dominant you can be for how many years. And that, that really helped shape my, my aggressiveness and my competitiveness. And then, uh, another book that I read in the last year that really like opened my eyes to the long game was the infinite game by uh, Simon Siniak. I think I'm pronouncing that his name correctly. That book was a complete game changer for me as a business owner on how we're playing the infinite game. And that really opened my eyes. Um, and then, you know, a couple other books, I would say with chase the lion by Mark Batterson was a good book for me. Really the premise of that book is that in order to fulfill your destiny of, of achieving your dream, it opens up the opportunity for others to achieve their dream. And I love that. I love that by me pursuing my, my dream, I'm opening them opportunities for other people. And I truly believe that we're here to, to serve and give. Um, and True. then uh, The Greatest Salesman in the World by OG Mandino. Uh, I read all of his books. Uh, I, I love that one really uh, shaped uh, a big part of my life as well. Just uh, that book, you know how you're supposed to reread the same chapter, you know, twice or mm -hmm. kind of repetitiveness, right? And kind of just starting your morning off the same way. That kind of helped get me in a groove uh, to really help me form the habits that I have today. I like it. I've read a couple of those, but some of them I haven't. So I'm going to hit those up and I'll let you know. Yeah. Um, all right. So when you see an MMA prospect, right, you go to a regional show, you're maybe with one of your guys and you maybe you see another guy. You're like, oh, like, what are you looking for? Is there are there any like things that you actually look forward that you'll be like, OK, this guy could probably make it like, well, what are you looking for? For me, I, I really chase character. Um, I used to chase talent when I was younger and then talent would take you places your character is not ready to go to. You know, mm -hmm. we've seen that happen in our sport a few times now where a, a person's talent took them there way too soon and they weren't able to handle the pressure in the limelight of that situation. Yeah. So for me, I really look for high character people. I think if you bet on character, you're going to win almost damn near every time. And so when, when I'm looking at a regional event, obviously, yes, we're looking to see how they perform in the cage. We're looking to see uh, how they handle that. But I'm, I want to watch them backstage. I want to I want to watch them, how they handle their team, how they speak to their team, how their team functions together. I want, you know, because it takes a village to raise a fighter. It's not, a, you know, this isn't a self-made industry here. You know, I, I've seen the work that you've done with your guys, Matt. You know what I mean? You know this, like. Sure. So I really try to look at the whole thing as a whole, you know, how, do they, how they speak in their interviews, how they handle everything. I think you, you really can see their professionalism, their character there. That's a good tale of how they're going to handle the pressures that come along with being in the UFC and and handling uh, the day-to-day -day pressure of that okay now let's transfer over to the ufc what do they want all right you got a guy sean shelby mcmaynard dana they're all always looking for the next best talent too right they want yeah. the next conor mcgregor the next superstar yeah. right so 
what are they looking for? What do they want right now? I mean, is there a certain age limit where you're too old now, you're, you're too young, or what do they want? I, I think uh, uh, right now, really what they want are, are fighters that are trying to finish the fight in every position, right? You know, I know there's a stigma like, oh, don't you, you know, we don't want wrestlers, can't take them down. No, they'll, they'll take grapplers if the grappler's down there, ground or pounding, looking for position to get that submission, you know, constantly looking to improve them, uh, you know, improve their position, finish the fights. That's what they're looking for. Excitement guys that are coming in there to finish fights. I think additionally, they're looking for, for fighters that are professional, right on time with their paperwork on time with their medicals, their travel requirements, uh, maybe any visas. They want people that have all of their uh, business affairs together um, because I feel like the cage is only 15 minutes of work. It's what you do outside of that cage that really leads up to everything, right? How you conduct yourself with the other departments of the UFC. You know, if you can cut a good promo, give a good interview, you know, uh, with enthusiasm, they look for those things as well. I think we've seen a couple of times in contenders where a person cut a very good promo. They gave a lot of enthusiasm. They want people that are excited to be here, people that are excited to be part of the sport. And I think uh, if you can encompass those things, you're, you're what they want. As we saw a few, of that, a few of those this year on Contender Series, guys that gave great interviews, gave great performances, and, um, you know, they're probably going to be stars in the UFC. I talked to Sean Shelby once and he said, because I was trying to get a guy on the contender, but he was a little, no, I wouldn't say older. He was 34. Yeah. I mean, I guess starting your UFC career at 34 would be pretty old. But yeah. he said, get me young guys that do crazy shit. Yeah. That was yeah. his exact line. I'll never forget yeah. it. I'm like, young guys that do yeah. crazy shit. Okay. Guys that are trying to finish fights. Finish I think, fights. you know, I think if you're over 30, I think your path probably is best suited to get straight into the UFC, right? On a short notice opportunity, some of that. I think the contender okay. series... I mean, yes, they do have fighters over 30, but I think it's really built for the fighters under 30, right? I think it's built right. for that young wave of, of young crops, the raw Rosas, 17 years old, coming up there and shocking the world and winning a fight, right? Those, those type of situations are what they're looking for. And what is your uh, opinion on fighters who, or even their coaches, who, who kind of like pad the record to like 10 and 0? And you know they're not fighting anybody good, but they're 10 and 0. Um or you got a guy who maybe is eight and two or eight and three, but he fought some real studs. Mm -hmm. Like, so what's, what's better to get into the so, UFC? Man, to be honest, that's, that's probably the best question. Right. And it's cause it's the one question that I try to explain to athletes that we're recruiting and signing. Like I can go get you to fight sister Mary, the blind from Idaho and go beat her up seven, eight times and get to eight. No, like that's not the answer. The answer is, not just not only just to get wins, but to get fights and opportunities that prepare yourself to stay in the UFC. I think we're so worried about getting a record that can get you into the UFC, but really you need to get experiences that keep you in the UFC. And I think that's the key in the, in the whole thing. If you're eight and two, but you've had some really good regional experiences, you're going to be very successful in the in the UFC. If you just take all the easier fights and you don't be challenged, when you get to the UFC, you're going to run into another hammer, and that's a really tough thing, a tough question to answer in the UFC. And is there like maybe a happy medium where maybe, you know, you're trying to keep a perfect record, right? The UFC would love to see 8-0 in a contender mm -hmm. series, right? It would just be great to say Matt Arroyo, 8-0, yeah. or whoever. Um, is there like a happy medium where maybe you don't fight another 8-0 guy, but you fight a guy 7-2 or 6-3? and three? Or maybe, you know, but don't fight the crazy studs because maybe you'll fight them in the UFC. And then, But you want to know how you'll do, though. You know what I mean? No, no, definitely. I think, I think you're, you're, you're spot on. You know, I think your first few fights, you're taking the fights are literally on the easier side to get your experience in the cage. And then you start kind of building in a little bit more and a little bit more. And then, yeah, usually that real, you know, when you're fighting another eight, no prospect, it's usually, 
you know, an LFA or for your UFC title shot, right? Where if you win, you're probably going to the UFC or you're going to go to contender or that fight happens on contenders, right? But yeah, you're right. You're, you're kind of building in and contenders has kind of been that place lately where you're kind of getting that, you know, 7-0, 6-0 kid against each other, you know, and that's when that's that when the opportunity is going to occur. So yeah. Is uh, the ultimate fighter still around? Are they still like, is that something that you're trying to still get your guys on and, and things yeah. like that? Okay. Yeah, you know, it's different strokes for different folks. I think for for certain people, contender series is going to be the route for them, right? right. For others, it's going to be the ultimate fighter. You know, Brian Battle is a perfect example. Of the ultimate fighter being great for him. You know, he came in, he had a lower record than most at that time, but he got a lot of experience in that house. He was someone that thrives in that discipline, thrives in that house situation, and he's skyrocketing right now, right? I mean, he's undefeated in the UFC and doing and doing his thing. So I think you just kind of have to take it case by case with each athlete. I think sometimes uh, we get too narrow-minded on this is the path. No, there's various paths you can take to, to having a successful career. Are they trying to phase out the ultimate fighter? Is that, you think that's going to be gone eventually, or do you think, why not just keep it around? I, I hope not. You know, I have a lot of nostalgia for the ultimate fighter because that was some of the early days of my career. And I stopped my life every Wednesday or Thursday, whenever it was on and watch it, you know, and I still think there's a great purpose for it. You know, I mean, it definitely was what got the sport going in the right direction. So for me, I, I think it, you know, I love to keep it around and, you know, I just think we have to kind of find different ways to keep mi mixing it up a little bit or kind of getting, you know, eyeballs tuned into it. Yeah, true. Yeah. Just kind of do something completely different on there, but this was 20 something seasons. It's hard to like, yeah. what else could you yeah. do? Um, so I know we touched upon a lot of this, but if you can wrap up, like I have a bunch of amateur fighters here, they all mm -hmm. want to be in the UFC. They don't care about all the other organizations. It's, it's the UFC, mm -hmm. right? So on this Saturday, we have eight amateur fighters fighting, right? And I think four of them are making their debut and literally every one of them were like, I want to be where Billy's at Billy Q. I want to, I want to be in the UFC. That's what I want. And you can see they want it. And, I, and again, I've, I've owned this, this this uh, gym for 15 years and people say a lot of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Billy and Matt made it, <laughs> you know, out of all the thousands of people that came to the door, two guys actually did what it took. Right. Um, what would you tell them for advice? They're am they're about to make their amateur debut. I got four of them right now. What would you tell mm -hmm. them? What's the best chances to make it to the UFC? I mean, you've developed guys from, from start to finish. You you've seen it. You've watched the process with hundreds of guys what yeah, is it? Yeah. Like what separates them? Like what? I, I truly believe it's not who's good. It's who's left. It's who can stay in this sport and whether the adversity that this sport brings stick through it all. And, and you make, you end up in the UFC. I think in the last year, if you look at some of the champions that have happened, like the Charles Rivera, Glover Teixeira's, you know, Brandon Moreno's like those guys, I mean, they, you know, what they didn't start off their career super hot. Right. Like, I mean, they really, have been in the game long enough. And I think they weather those storms to where they got their opportunities to be successful. You know, Billy and Matt are perfect examples. They, they've all, they both had adversity earlier on in, in the, in the regional scene. They, you know, uh, Billy was on tough, you know what I mean? I mean, remember that they just remember him from contenders, but he kind of had that step back before he came back. Right. You know? So I think you just have to go from opportunity to opportunity. The sport presents with the same enthusiasm. You can't lose it. You have to stick with it. Um, that's from, I think the mentality side of things, you know, is, is just that you have to understand this is the long game and success long is game. never straight. Line. It's going to be up and down. These young fighters need to understand that, you know, Brandon Moreno started his career, three wins, three losses. No one ever talks about that, but I think for a young group of amateurs, that's a great way to talk to them. Like, Hey guys, like, dude, Brandon 
start three and three. You know how many guys? And I, I the other day I was trying to look. I've had so many guys start off three wins, two losses. Weird that number, hmm. and make it to the UFC. So if you stick with it and you just keep showing up every day, I think you're you're going to be there. On the training side, you have to be a billiard mat. You have to show up every day when you're tired and you don't feel good. Not saying you have to over trainers, but you have to keep learning, keep growing, keep evolving. You know, uh, you you guys do a great job there at your gym with that, you know, and, and, and I think the proof's in the pudding, right? If you, if you show up every day, you're going to be like those guys, right? You said everyone wants to be Billy and Matt, but Billy and Matt show up every day. Like I just had breakfast with Billy last week. I mean, he's a workhorse, right? And I, I love him he to is. death for he does everything right. And I think that's why he is where he is. For sure. What would you say like the biggest mistake fighters make, especially like after they make it into the UFC, now they're here, like, oh crap, I'm here now. Like what's their downfall? These guys that, that don't kind of pan out. I think uh, being like, just always like, like rushing their careers, always trying to make it so like, ur you know, urgently on the regional scene, they're trying to rush, 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 you know, in the UFC, trying to rush, you know, take time, let the road pave itself, you know, get the right opportunities, you know, allow yourself that time to grow and evolve and, and really, and really become the athlete that you, you can become. Again, I say this because if you look at some of these guys that have become champions in their 30s that have over 20, 25, 30 fights, but how many fighters really get to that number? Most fighters don't, right? Most fighters are out of the UFC before they get to that number. So and obviously there's an outlier, right? You're going to get a John Jones-esque who 4-5-0 or, or Cain Velasquez. They're going to run through the race. Obviously, yes, on those, go. You know, you're a shooting star. But I'm saying for overwhelming majority – let the road pave itself, take the right fights, keep growing, keep, keep evolving, spend time in the gym. Because if you start, and you know, as a coach, if you're always in camp, 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 I don't know how much time you really have to add tools to the toolbox and keep honing those skills. You know, you really have to stay at this every day of the year. Yeah, there is no off season. And it seems like when people do try to take, you know, a year off or six months, it's like, I don't know if there's ring rust or not. There's always that myth, but yeah, it kind of don't seem the same um yeah and i see that too like guys want the big fights right away like let's get that big fight right now yeah and you know if you just let it build mm -hmm. get that big fight but you'll have a bunch of wins and sometimes you know money wise it's it's like it's the same money sometimes <laughs> to fight the yeah. big guy or the small guy like so you might as well just work work, work your way up and i think we see that in boxing a lot right like boxing these guys don't even really have their true test they're 20 25 fights in now, I know that MMA is a different beast. That's probably not going to happen, but it's still a lesson to be learned from that situation, understanding that, hey, we can keep growing and evolving. So so guys like Patty Pimblett, guys like, uh, <laughs> forgetting his name, with all the color hair, and uh, O'Malley. O'Malley, Conor McGregor. Um, these guys have so much freaking hype at the first fight of their careers, mm -hmm. you know, or, or even like the first few. Like, are they just outliers? Like, I don't, honestly, I don't get the whole Patty Pimlet thing. I mean, yeah, he looks weird and and he he talks, I guess, funny. Yeah, and he wins fights, but like, I just don't get how a whole nation is on this guy's side and how like he's so popular. Sean O'Malley, I could kind of see he's got a real cool style. He's knocking people out, walking off, colorful hair. McGregor, everybody gets that. Yeah. Um, those are the guys that are getting paid the bigger money, yeah. right? I think I think O'Malley, he was the first season of the contender series. Yeah. We weren't sure what the contender series was going to produce. He went out there and had an amazing performance that night. I mean, he was looking the other yeah. way. I mean, he was, I mean, he was on that night. I mean, and if there was a time to say hello to the world, it was then, right? And he did. And kudos to him. I think that really skyrocketed him because 
man, that was, like, we still haven't seen a performance really kind of like that in, in the contender series, right? Where you're just you're above, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, where you're, I mean, he literally was in control of that moment and kudos to him for doing that. And so I think that really, you know, he's kind of that first generation contender series guy that's really getting catapulted in. Uh, Patty Pimblett, you know, he took a different route in that he did get the 20 fights or so before he got into the UFC. He really built his name in that European market. He's got a country behind him. And when you get a country behind you, it really does explode you onto the scene. When you, when you got uh, a huge market like he does, uh, and he's handling it very well. You know, he's winning the fights and, and he's doing what he's supposed to do. Um, but yeah, and then Connor, again, I think he's a once in a generation guy that, I mean, his natural gifts of speaking, you know, I remember like seeing him like back to him and talk like he's naturally that witty. He's not trying, you know, does that make sense? Like <laughs> yeah. some people try to be that way. Like Connor, I, in my opinion, from what I've seen of him was always naturally, you know, a quick response, good, good one liner, you know, like he's good at that. And that's what kind of, you know, that and the left hand that he had and, and his style of fighting, it really, you know, it ch uh, changed the game. So do you, would you recommend a fighter? Let's just say a guy just made it, right? He just made it and he's maybe nine and oh, he won the contender. Now he's in the UFC. Mm -hmm. Would you recommend a guy who maybe, maybe it doesn't have that personality to do that, to try to create a shtick of some kind? Like, like for example, I think someone who, who did that decently was uh, Chael Sonnen. Like most people had no clue who Chael Sonnen was his first yeah. few UFC fights. And then one day, I don't know what the hell happened to him, but he, I guess he started writing these scripts for, for what he was going to say. And memorized it and then after the fight he would say this crazy stuff and i believe he he was a great fighter but he he talked his way into a few title fights 100 percent. you know uh, with that being said i think chael is a personality like that and he just yeah. found out like hey that i can do this yeah i i truly believe like be who you are you know don't if you don't if you don't have that ability to be like a chael who's a good talker mm -hmm. it's okay i mean we have brandon moreno who's a family loving guy who plays with legos and he's got huge following right like true i think he's shown that you can be yourself and do it i think you just have to find your niche and stay in it you know chael's very good of of running that niche 24 7 right not everyone can do that at some point it's going to fall off and you're going to look fake and it's going to it's kind of in the, right. the k-fade is going to come out and it's going to be a bad look you know right so i think it's you kind of have to do what uh was you and i think there's a, a fan base for everyone right i think it, it, people can resonate with different people for different reasons i love when fans come up to me and they Oh, I love your client. And like, and it wouldn't be for what you thought, right? I love that he does this. Like, oh, great, man. That's awesome. Or, you know, hey, I love, you know, you'd be surprised. You know, I think you should be yourself, but I do think you need to push yourself out there more and, and still promote yourself, but just be who you are. Just hype it up a little bit. Just yeah. more, more of what you already are. Another yeah. good example was, um, and again, I suck with names. The uh, He started going like all conservative, Republican, uh, welterweight. Covington. Colby Covington. Yeah. He never yes. did any of that until like before, yes. you know, and then all of a sudden he's having dinner with Trump, you know, like, yeah. And now he's a big name. Well, he, but you got to win too. Right. I mean, you can't just do all this stuff. Oh, no, for lose, sure. Lose for all sure. your fights. And I think Chael and, and Colby are kind of similar in the sense that, you know, they're both grappling based uh, fighters, maybe not the most exciting at times, you know, that was the knock on them before. Right. And mm -hmm. then it's like, Hey, how can I make this? And dude, I mean, I'll be honest when Chael and Anderson, that whole saga was going on. It was awesome. It was you know, awesome. It was great. You know, like the barbecues. Going, and the oh, I wonder what's going to happen next, you know? And, um, and, uh, you know, he, he got you. I think that's when you have the biggest fights when you, when you 
want to either see someone win or lose, but you're either way you want to see them. And that's how, that's when you get the whole public involved. Right. Yeah. When, man, I, I don't care. I want, I want to see him. <laughs> yeah. I remember Dana, when he did his talks, he does, you know, for those who don't know, Dana takes all the fighters. I think it's at Wayne's right after Wayne's and he puts them all together and he starts, you know, pumping them up for the night. This is what the bonuses are going to be. This, that do it. I remember, I never forget. He said, uh, I don't know if he says it every speech, but for one of mine, he said, um, you know, be the guy that everyone wants to see get their ass kicked or be the guy everybody loves, but don't be that guy in the middle because yeah, it doesn't matter what you do. You're going to be truth. gone. It's so <clears throat> that's, that's some good advice. Yeah. Um, so who, in your opinion, is encompasses it all currently and then of all time, the greatest fighter. So currently fighting professional gets the job done. Freaking just ever yeah. has the full package. Who, who currently on the I UFC? I mean, roster? I think in, in his in his prime, Connor, when he was dialed in and doing his thing. I mean, you'd have to give him that respect. That I mean, he was when amazing. He beat Aldo that day. Holy crap! Man. I mean, then he went out there and, and just manhandled Alvarez, and and even when he lost to Diaz, his post fight speech was amazing. Right, like he handled it with grace, came back and won. I mean, hate him or love him in, in his in his in his in his prime. I mean, he was, I mean, he opens, he opened some big doors for, for the sport. So I think, you know, overall he was great. I think you have to give Anderson Silva, right? I mean, he, and it was amazing because he did it without really speaking, right? His English wasn't very that good, but he still created an aura where everyone like loved him and wanted to watch him fight and, and perform, you know? Yeah. And then amazing. today, that, that, that's a really good question today. I mean, I think you, you see a lot of, a lot of champs that are, that are doing their thing very well. You know, Adesante is putting on a, a great, resume right now Volkanovsky's putting on a great resume Charles Rivera is still writing his too right I mean he's I mean he's beaten some I mean I was like you know, Pore, Gaethje, Chandler I mean yeah, I mean the top yeah murders row I mean it's it's impressive to see you know what's going on and I think there's some amazing talent in the heavier heavier divisions like Mick Maynard's done a great job building those divisions up like a heavyweight right now I'd love to see Francis get, get back in there I mean because I think he's I mean those are some great fights be made there as well you know so what weight class or women men's whatever weights has the greatest opportunity the i would say the easiest to get in like what are they looking for specifically like are they trying to build up a certain division that it's easier to slide guys in i mean i always felt like the heavier weight classes were easier to get in just because there's not many you know 185 and above it's very hard to find you know those type of fighters right i mean there's not a whole lot of them um for whatever reason, maybe, you know, maybe the next generation of athletes coming up, they're trying to do more MMA. Maybe we'll see more of that. Maybe those bigger athletes are in more traditional ball and stick sports. I don't know. I don't have the answers for it, but I think, you know, it's common knowledge that, you know, 185 and above, you generally have a, I don't want to say it's easy. You still got to go win fights, but it's, uh, the numbers are lighter there, right? There's a greater odds that you will make it to the UFC. I was talking with Billy a little bit about this earlier. So you have over a hundred guys in the UFC and a lot of times you're going to have guys fight each other, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just your own guys fighting. How do you deal with yeah. that mentally, even strategically? Like, are you saying this guy would be good for this guy? Or are you just trying to get these guys fights or how does that work mentally? So like, for example, like if, if two clients, you know, say it's a fight that makes sense to the UFC, right. To make this matchup happen. And I go to both parties and if they like the fight, then I'm going to run that fight. It's not about me and my ego or what's best for my agency. It's what's best for each fighter as an individual. And that's how you have to look at it. You have to separate it. Okay. Is this a good fight for fighter A? Okay, great. This makes sense. Great. Does it make sense for fighter B? Okay, let's do this. And at that point I do my job 
the same professionally for them, you know, obviously on that fight night, it's hard for me to watch that. You know, I, I have right. a heart. I love, you love care about fighters. these fighters. Yeah. yeah. I care about them. You know, like it's, it's hard. I hate it. You know, there's times I don't even want to watch it, mm. but that's not, that's my, again, that's about Jason. And it's not about Jason. I think as an agent, you're here to serve and give to others. So it's about doing my best job for those fighters, still do their marketing, still do their PR, still do help them with their fight week obligations, run any errands I can run for them, you know, set up their dinners, just run the rodeo the same. They're, you know, I do my job to the best of my ability and then they're going to handle what they're going to handle inside the cage. Um, and I think if you do that, I mean, we've had quite a few clients fight each other. We've never had an issue with it because they've seen at the end of the day that we've conducted ourselves professionally and uh, handled it to the utmost care. That's awesome. Yeah. You, you, you got to do it right. If you own a quarter of the, of the roster, they're eventually going to, it's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so work-life balance, what are your thoughts on that? I know you don't have kids, right? No. It's just you and no. your wife, right? Mm -hmm. You guys. So how do you handle, because sometimes a lot of people who own businesses have wives <clears throat> who want a lot of their time and they want to yeah. spend time, especially in the building process, they're trying to build their business and they got to spend time with their kids. They got to spend time with their wife. They got other obligations they have to do. Yeah. But you know, if you take your foot off that pedal of the business, it could, it could go down. So how do you handle the work-life balance? You know, if you'd ask me this question three or four years ago, I, I would have said, Hey, there is no balance. When you're at work, you should be hundred percent about work. And then when you're at home, be home and kind of, you know, give each your undivided attention. Otherwise you're cheating them both. If you're kind of trying to do this, right. If your eyes are over here, but you're there presently, mm -hmm. you're never, you're never completely there. You know, I'm, so that's my opinion of it, but people that's like, see me and my wife, it's different, right? Because my wife is a part of my work. I take right. her to every freaking event, you know, and what I've learned is, you know, I'm able to still pursue my passion, which I believe is to help others achieve their dreams in this business. But there's a nugget of time, right? We're like, say on a Wednesday and there's a dead space, I can go take her to a nice lunch date in New York where we're out there for that event, right? Or if I'm in Paris, France for the France card, I can go take her sightseeing for, you know what I mean? And then you can have that quality time with her. So having her around with me allows me that when there is that two or three hour gap, to do something fun with her and spend quality time with her, whether it's just a date night or anything, um, but allows her also to be a part of my career and see what I'm doing. So she can kind of understand, you know, I think sometimes, you know, say a spouse, they don't know what you dealt with that work and you come home and then you're frustrated or you're agitated. They don't see that where a lot of times Lisa knows a certain fight maybe is making me nervous, right. <laughs> or, her, or certain things are happening. So it's kind of allowed us to be dialed in and kind of made it a family affair. So, but I try to, you know, always carve out that time where she gets her undivided attention. And that reminds me, I went through a course by Ty Lopez a while back. It was called the 67 steps. Have you heard of it? It's pretty freaking no, good. No, no. Yeah, dude. You gotta listen oh. to it. Yeah. It's about an hour each. Okay. So 67 hours of your life, but some of the ideas yeah, exactly. are just amazing. And one of them, he talks about the happiest people he knows are people who have what he calls the integrated lifestyle. So you integrate everything, your workout, your work, your wife, your yeah. kids, you put it. So that's what I read that. I'm like, that makes sense. So I try yeah. to make our gym here. Well, my wife to train, my kids to train. We yeah. go to no, you, you've done a great job. I was telling Billy that at breakfast, I feel like you have a great culture at your, at your gym, you know, and I, I remember going there and seeing you had a great facility. It's very welcoming, Thank you, you know, and I, you've done a great job. I feel that it's always tough to kind of have the mar mixed martial arts side, but then kind of have the tradition, like the jujitsu, yes. you know, the geese with the family, what they, you know what I mean? Like you, yes. you've done a good job of, 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 of balancing that. You know, I, I always, I was telling Billy, I was impressed by that because, you know, sometimes if a family of, a you know, two six-year-olds walk in they might be intimidated to see the mma in the cage right like right. 
I really live there for jujitsu and the gi and the, and the self-discipline that jujitsu brings to others, you know? So for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. Well, that was awesome, dude. Um, I can't think of anything else off the bat for, for guys. I know a lot of my guys are going to watch this because they want to be where Billy is. They want to be in the UFC yeah. where Brandon Moreno is. We're, we're all these guys, yeah. you know, and, and hopefully they can watch this and, and have a better game plan and, obviously the training, right? You have to win. Like if yeah. you're not winning, you could have all yeah. that Conor McGregor talk. You can have all this, but if you're not winning the fights, yeah. you don't make it right. I mean, it's just the way it is. Um, training, so, training is number one. It's the most important yeah. having those habits. Number one. So dude, thank you so much. And yes, uh, hopefully I'll see you soon. I'll definitely see you in December. Yep. So, see you then. All right, my man. Take care. Thank you. Yeah.